with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You can also look at the, I'd like you to look at the outline you have in your bulletin. It says at the top, why we exist and who we are, our vision, mission, and values. That has our text as well that Nick is going to read. Today's a little different. We're not going to primarily unpack a passage or exclusively unpack a passage of Scripture, as is our normal practice. I'm going to cover some of that outline as well. We're doing so because we as pastors wanted to remind us of our vision together as we begin a new ministry year. We're going to remind us of what we're all about in light of God's Word. So let's first be addressed by God in His Word, as Nick reads to us from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Let us hear God's word. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Nick. Perhaps you've heard this story before. It's told by Max Lucado. The story of Chippy, the parakeet. Chippy's owner was cleaning out his cage one day and accidentally sucked Chippy into the vacuum cleaner. The owner quickly shut off the vacuum cleaner and retrieved the stunned but alive parakeet covered in dust and dirt. She rushed Chippy to the bathroom and rinsed him off under the faucet. Then realizing that Chippy was now shivering, she used her hairdryer to blast Chippy with warm air until he was dry. A friend a few days later called to ask how Chippy was doing. Well, his owner said, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He mostly just sits and stares. Chippy doesn't sing anymore. He just sits and stares, wondering what has happened to him. Today, many Christians and many churches feel like Chippy, stunned and staring, unsure of what just hit them in the last year and a half. We've been living through this year and a half a worldwide pandemic, bringing great suffering and a lot of division. Masks or no masks, pro-vaccine, anti-vax, vax unsure, vax hesitant, Divisions over shutdowns, lockdowns, and the role of government. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been divided over these issues. In addition, real racial problems have come to the forefront. 
We want, as Steve prayed, we want biblical justice in our land because our God is a God of justice. But what precisely that should look like has also divided brother and sister in Christ. We've had real political turmoil on top of all that. A bitterly contested election, an invasion of the Capitol building itself, political polarization has divided brother and sister in Christ. It's no surprise that many Christians and many churches feel like Chippy the parakeet, stunned and staring. Many are disillusioned and discouraged, and many churches are dividing. So the question for us at the start of this ministry year is, how can we, Grace Church, how can we move forward together as a body? How can we, Grace Church, move forward together like we could and should right here? Well, I believe we can and we will. We will if we have the biblical vision for the church that God provides in Ephesians chapter 2. We find three things in these verses I want to highlight. Three things about the church of Jesus Christ. A new status, a new foundation, and a new purpose. Those are my three handles on what we see here. A new status, a new foundation, and a new purpose. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul is casting a vision, you might say, for the church universal. But everything he says about the church is to be lived out in local churches. That's clear from the second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, which is built on chapters 1 through 3. And he's writing primarily to Gentile or non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And in this day, Jew and Gentile were deeply divided. There was deep hostility between these two groups. But now we are told in this chapter, our Lord, through his reconciling work on the cross, was creating in himself one new man out of the two. Chapter 2, verse 15. One new man out of the two. Jew and Gentile believer in Jesus joined together in one body, the church of Jesus Christ. In our passage, God now shows us the effect of that reconciling work Look back to verse 19. So then, so then in light of what I've been saying, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. It's this before and after picture. No longer are you strangers and aliens. Now, now, fellow citizens, fellow heavenly citizens, you might say, Fellow citizens sharing the same, the same status in the church on equal footing in the church. Take that in. The same status. Transcending racial differences. The same status. Transcending cultural and economic differences. The same status. Transla uh, transcending age and season of life differences. We are we are fellow citizens right here. And if that were not enough, 
He goes on. And, and members of God's household. Members of God's family. It's a great thing to be fellow citizens. But I would submit it's greater still to be members of the family of God together. Tomorrow, for Labor Day, Sung and I will go to Orange County to see my, my natural family, you might say. My father, my stepmother, my sister, my brother-in-law, half-sister, her fiancé, maybe one of my nieces. And I love my family. And by God's grace, we have a good relationship together. There is genuine love between us. But, but we don't all share Christ together. A few of us do, but most do not. That means while I am sincerely grateful for my natural family, there is a more profound connection and closeness that I experience in this family. Sharing with you the same Father in heaven. Reconciled with you by the same Son of God. Indwelt with you by the same Holy Spirit. I mean, did you know? Did you know that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he relativized the natural family? Not minimized but relativized, put in its relative importance. In Mark chapter 3, he is told, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who are following him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He wasn't minimizing the importance of the natural family. He was maximizing the importance of the family of God. He was putting them in their relative priority, saying, in effect, here's what I've come to build. My family, my people, the church. That's our new status. And it's built on, it's based upon our new foundation. Secondly, our new foundation. The apostle changes the metaphors for the church from, from citizens and family members to architecture in a building. Verse 20, built, he says, built on the foundation, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Apostles and prophets seem to represent the communication of authoritative truth from God. So authoritative truth from God is the church's foundation, and that truth here centers on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, in verse 20. See, in the ancient world, when building a building, the cornerstone was laid first. And all other stones in that foundation then were aligned with the cornerstone. Everything had to line up with the cornerstone. Jesus Christ 
is our cornerstone, the most important part of our foundation. In other words, the church's foundation is Christ-centered, authoritative truth from God. That's what we're built on. That's what we must build on. For any structure, if the foundation is flawed, the whole thing is flawed and probably coming down. Nothing is more important for any building than a solid foundation. Here, friends, is our sure, solid foundation. Christ-centered, authoritative truth from God. If you want to be a little bit sobered later on this afternoon, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and see the apostle apply this metaphor to a local church, the church in Corinth, and say basically... Watch out how you build on the foundation of Jesus because a day is coming, the day is coming, when you know what? How churches build is going to be evaluated. And for some churches, it's going to be wood, hay, and straw, and it's not going to be pretty. It's imperative how we build on this sure foundation. We must build with Christ-centered, authoritative, Biblical truth from God. That's how we build here. And that new foundation leads, thirdly, to a new purpose. Thirdly, a new purpose. Verse 21. In whom? In Christ. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesus, where this letter first went, the city of Ephesus was famous for its temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana, considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. That, that temple housed the idol for that pagan goddess. The temple in Jerusalem, of course, was where Yahweh, the living and true God, had manifested his presence and glory and said to dwell there in that sense. But now we're told that God is forming a new dwelling place, not of brick and mortar, but of individual lives like yours and mine. Now, Jew and Gentile, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, married and single, older and younger, are joined together in Christ to become a holy temple in the Lord. Notice, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a pretty significant purpose, isn't it? into a dwelling place for God where he manifests his presence and his glory joining us together as a temple. This is a lofty vision, friends, for the church of Jesus Christ, is it not? Here's the question for application. How well does your vision for the church line up with this vision in Ephesians 2? How well do they correspond? Do you, do you look at those around you, right now even, 
and quickly become aware of some difference between you. Some difference is what is primary to you, or are you quickly aware of the new status you share as fellow citizens and members of the same family? Do you view Christ-centered, authoritative truth as merely optional for you and optional for others around you? Does it lack for you the weight it once held? Or do you intentionally build your life on and help others build their lives on this sure foundation? Has the church's purpose become more about your preferences, your wants, and your needs? I'm not saying that's unimportant. But is the church's purpose in your mind mainly about you? Or are you animated even more by this purpose being a dwelling place for God by His Spirit? In other words, is it more about you or more about Him? Listen, I'm not trying to condemn, but excite. I'm not trying to discourage, but, but thrill your soul with a biblical vision us right here. Imagine, imagine God said to you, look, your, your, your salvation is secure, and you can just hang out by yourself if you want, but listen, here's the thing, I'm, I'm forming a group of people, and they're going to have an entirely new status, fellow citizens together, and members together of the same family, my family, they're going to be brothers and sisters in my son together. And, and I'm going to build them on a sure foundation, my unchanging word, truth from me that centers on my son, a rock-solid foundation that nothing can ever shake. And you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to give them a new purpose as well. I'm going to actually dwell in them. I'm going to dwell in them. I'm going to manifest my presence and my glory through them to a watching world. And you know what? I want to see if you had any interest. What would you say? I'd hope you'd say, sign me up, because that's what he's done. You've already been signed up. This is what God has gloriously done for all in Christ. On your outline, there's a quotation by Mark Sayers. He, he wrote this in a book published in 2019. That's significant because it sounds so prophetic for 2020. And 21, he writes, do we sense the possibilities of embodied and fleshed community in a time of disembodied isolation? Now, again, that was written before the pandemic, before lockdowns and Zoom meetings. Do we sense the possibilities of embodied and fleshed Christian community in a time of disembodied isolation? In a time of social fracturing and cultural polarization? He had no idea what was coming in 2020. 
in a time of social fracturing and cultural polarization, do we understand the powerful place that exists at the communion table? See, my hope, friends, brothers and sisters, is that you leave today sensing the possibilities of embodied community over disembodied isolation, be it social media chat rooms, online church, or what have you. My hope is that in this time of social fracturing and cultural polarization, that no difference is allowed to come between us, no personal preference elevated to the point of division because we so value and treasure the profound unity around the communion table. This is our vision for Ephesians chapter 2. So how do we translate that biblical vision to our vision here? How do we do that? That's what I want to talk about in the rest of our time. I believe that powerful place at the communion table is reflected, actually, quite nicely in our vision statement. It's on your outline. This is our high-level summation of a preferable future, you might say. We exist to glorify God as a gospel-centered, Jesus-centered community on a gospel-centered mission. And we say gospel-centered community because we intentionally center around what the Apostle Paul calls the matter of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15. That first importance is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That good news is the flag around which we rally. It's the balm that heals our relational ruptures, and it's the glue that can bind us together. A gospel-centered community. I read a book this year that I'd recommend. It's called Kastner's Train by Rezo Kastner. He organized a train full of Hungarian Jews during the Nazi Holocaust. He negotiated with the Nazis to allow this entire train full of Jewish people to be safely taken to Switzerland and not Auschwitz. The train was filled with about 2,000 people, as I recall, from every walk of life, religious rabbis and secular scholars, opera singers and a world-famous psychiatrist, peasants and former officers, former officers in the army, farmers and landowners, ladies of leisure, it says, and women from the potato fields. I read that description and I thought, what a great picture of the church of Jesus Christ. A great diversity of people, a cross-section of society, people with nothing in common left to themselves, joined together profoundly by a rescue. That's a gospel-centered community. Fellow citizens, members of God's family. And yet, Let's be honest. 
And yet, people can still feel like a stranger or an alien sometimes, as Ephesians 2.19 puts it. People can still feel like a stranger or alien, even in this family. Differences in how we educate our children can make us feel that way. Differences in our life situation, our race, cultural background, or political preferences. But look, because of some difference here, you might feel a bit like a stranger or alien, kind of on the outside looking in. As pastors, we were discussing this, and one particular group of people came to our minds that as a church, we felt like we could grow in thinking more intentionally about and caring more intentionally for our single adults. Most of us are married couples, not all, but, but many, a, a large percentage are married couples. As a gospel-centered community, married couples, consider with me, isn't it incumbent upon us to make sure our single adults don't unintentionally feel like a stranger or alien here, somehow on the outside looking in? Married couples, let's, let's be intentional, and I'm speaking to myself as well. Invite a single adult into your home. Have a meal. Build a relationship. Start in your own home group. Are there any single adults there? And you can branch out from there. And single adults, I want to say to you, you are a valuable part of this church. You are a valuable part of this church. I think of Doug right here in front of me, who is a pillar of prayer in this church who is at every single prayer meeting. And I tell him, Doug, God only knows how many ways we have experienced grace from God in answer to your prayers. That's just one example. You are a valuable part of this church. Help us, help us make sure you don't feel like a stranger or alien here. We'd like your help with that. Friends, let us embrace the powerful place that exists at the communion table as a gospel-centered community. Now, we have a gift for you today. We have a whole box of an outstanding book that you may have already, but if you'd like another copy or your first copy, it is called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. These are free to you. In fact, I think we have two boxes, if I'm, not, <laughs> if I'm correct. And so we would love for you to take this book and read this book. Here's why. Here's what I found in reading this book. As I read this book previously, I found I was, I was shown the heart of the Savior toward me, and that affected my heart for others around me. So friends, read this, savor this, and be affected yourself. See the Savior's heart for you and have that affect how you relate to others right here. This is a gift for you. They are down front after the service.
Our vision then also involves a gospel-centered mission. On your outline, we put it like this, our mission. We seek to make and grow disciples of Jesus in our church, city, and world. Seek to make and grow disciples, followers of Jesus in our church, our city, and our world. Straight out of the Great Commission, Jesus speaking. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Notice, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The go part we talked about last week. Last week's sermon, all about go and making disciples. Notice, though, we also seek to grow current disciples. That's implied in Jesus' words. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There is a discipleship continuum here, a discipleship process. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Doesn't that sound like that new foundation in Ephesians 2.20? the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we do this with five values that highlight, that, that guide us rather, five values I wanted to highlight. Think of these as five foundation stones that line up with the cornerstone. God's glory so we value a God-centered liturgy, a pattern of worship, and a God-centered soteriology, doctrine of salvation. God, God's word, we value expository preaching and fellowship together around God's transforming word. God's spirit, we value prayerful reliance on the ministry and empowering of the Holy Spirit as a temple, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We value God's people. We value every member ministry, every member ministry, and member-to-member -member ministry. And lastly, God's mission. We value relational evangelism, ministries of mercy, and international missions. Friends, that's why we exist. That's what we do. That's who we are in light of this biblical vision before us. And after the past year and a half, when many are feeling like Chippy the parakeet, many are disillusioned, many are discouraged, many are dividing. Here's my exhortation to us. Recognize that in Christ we have this new status. Fellow citizens, members of the same family. A new foundation, Christ-centered, authoritative truth from God that must govern everything we do and how we relate, and a new purpose, a temple in which God lives by his spirit. That's how we can move forward together with that vision before us. Now, the back side of that outline has a whole section I'm not going to talk about. It's pretty self-explanatory. It just reminds you of how we do what we do, I want to briefly hit on the card you have in your bulletin entitled 2021-2022 Priorities. Would you find that, please? 2021-2022 Priorities. I want to take this opportunity to 
briefly, very briefly, talk about what all this looks like for us in the coming ministry year. Because what we've covered, you might notice, does not have the kind of magic bullet for ministry success, however you define that. Not one key to ministry success. Here's the one. What we're after is actually something described by a phrase coined by an atheistic philosopher but popularized by Pastor Eugene Peterson. We're after a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Steady progress by God's grace in a word, faithfulness. In God's eyes, that's success. So, let me hit these as our attempt to pursue faithfulness this year. I'm going to work from the bottom up very quickly. First, at the bottom, there is a partnership priority. We want to further direction for any potential church affiliation. We'll bring you an update about that in the next few weeks. Second, from the bottom, a situational priority. Further, our transition to post-COVID, Lord willing, post-COVID ministry involving our Sunday location and any needed ministry adjustments. The Sunday service location part is a challenging one. We've been trying to forecast this for you and take you into a research project that's been going on, and we see currently three options, three main options before us. Return to the community center at some point, stay in the park here indefinitely, or we've been invited to use Lake Murray Community Church's facility for a Sunday late afternoon, early evening service. Now, I want to acknowledge something. I don't think any of those options are ideal. Let me shoot straight with you. We're not seeing ideal hit us in the face right now. Each option has some positives and some negatives. Now, we wrote a document spelling out those positives and negatives. It's on the information table out there. It's going to be emailed to you this week, and we're going to ask every home group to take a little bit of time to talk about this because we want your help. We need your help. We'd like to discern God's good purpose and direction together. Italicize, underline the word together. So please engage with us, friends. Please engage with us in a deliberation process. We welcome your thoughts, your questions, your concerns. We ask for your help. We ask you to pray for God's wisdom and direction. That's situational. The rest, I'm going to be quite brief because we're going to talk about these primarily in the coming weeks. An outward priority, we talked about last week, further outreach and evangelism of our members because, friends, you and I are the evangelism program. You and I are the evangelism program. We want to further the outreach and evangelism of our members. An inward priority, further our vision for and practice of mutual discipleship. We'll talk about this in about five weeks. And then an upward priority, 
further the saturation of Scripture in our church culture. Beginning next week, we're going to preach a four-part series on that priority from the book of 2 Timothy. We want to further the, the saturation, you might say. Picture a sponge being saturated, soaking in water. We want to further the saturation of Scripture in our church culture. We want to build ever more intentionally on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. That's who we are. That's why we exist. That's where we believe God is leading us to go. So would you take that card and stick it in your Bible or take it home and put it on the mirror or someplace you'll see it? And make this a prayer list for your church. Would you do that, please? Let's pray for these priorities. Let's pray that God would work in these ways and many, many more to his glory. Because with these priorities, we believe we will build together as a people with a new status, a new foundation, and a new purpose. With these priorities, we will keep pursuing a long obedience in the same direction. With these priorities, we believe we will be faithful as God enables us. So let us pray together with these things in mind. In fact, this morning, we'd like to close a little differently by praying together. We'd like to ask you to, in a moment, break down into small groups, let's say four, five, six people, whatever works for you, and pray about these five things even now. Let's cry out to our prayer hearing, prayer answering God. Now look, if you're a guest here and you're like, I don't know these people and I don't want to be praying out loud with them, that's okay. If you want to sit where you are and just chill for a few minutes, that's fine. If you want to join a group and just listen along, that's fine too. But if you're a member here, we ask you, let's take a few minutes, friends, and cry out to our prayer hearing prayer answering God. So would you make some small groups? Take this card. Let's cry out to God together. Then Rick's going to come and close us in a song. Let's take a few minutes and cry out together.
you to mind beginning to wrap up in your prayer groups. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray for these priorities, our vision, our mission. In light of this biblical vision you present to us in Ephesians chapter 2. We pray, hallowed be your name in our church. May your name be regarded as holy in Grace Church. We say, let your kingdom come your redeeming reign, your, your saving sovereignty as king in our lives and through us. Let many more come to know you. We pray your will would be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. Conform us more and more to your son through your revealed will in your word. Give us our daily bread. Provide, we pray, provide for gospel ministry right here in the year ahead. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Keep us as a, a gospel-centered, Christ-centered community. Forgiving each other when there is sin. Moving forward together in grace. Always centering on the matter of first importance. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil and the evil one, we ask you. Have mercy on us. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the joy, the privilege of being a part of your body, the church of Jesus Christ. Let's close, friends, with this last song, very appropriately entitled Cornerstone, in light of what we've seen in God's word. Let's sing together.